So I was walking down the street, and I was walking down the street in my neighborhood. When I say it's my neighborhood, I mean this is, I've been walking down this street for years and years and years. I, I knew every shop. I knew where to cut across the street at an angle to save a few steps. I knew this area. And so one day I was a little bit puzzled when I saw a woman who was obviously a tourist standing in the middle of the street taking a picture of something. And I was puzzled by that because I've already mentioned this was my neighborhood. I knew this neighborhood. But something was so important to her to take a picture of, she's not standing on the sidewalk. She's standing in the middle of the street taking a picture. And I thought, what is that crazy woman doing? In fact, I was curious enough that I walked to where I could see what she was taking a picture of. And it's one of the most beautiful buildings I've ever seen. Ground floor was fairly typical. But when you got above the ground floor, it was absolutely spectacular. And I thought, how in the world have I never seen this before? And then I realized the reason I've never seen it before was I already thought I knew the street. I've walked down that street so many times that every time I walked down the street, I saw what I've always seen. I looked for what I've always looked for. And having that kind of expectation is very often a hindrance in seeing something different, seeing something new. And you know what? Our Bible study can be like that sometimes. We know the Bible stories so well that when we look at the story again, all we see is all that we have ever seen because that's what we expect to be there. But sometimes, sometimes something will happen that will help us to see a story through new eyes. And I recently had the opportunity to do that, and I'd like to share some thoughts with you from the Gospels this morning about my, my experience. And it begins with, it begins with thinking about the whole idea of, of, of miracles. Why did Jesus work miracles? Now your mind may immediately be going to the book of Hebrews where it talks about the fact that the, the miracles of Jesus confirmed his message. But I, I want to look at it through a little different eyes. When Jesus worked miracles, why did he do that? Remember how often in the Gospels it would talk about Jesus feeling mercy or having compassion on people? So when Jesus encounters someone that's, that, that's blind, while there's a deeper theological significance behind giving them back their sight, Jesus feels sorry for people who's blind, who are blind. When Jesus sees somebody who's lame, he feels sorry for them because they can't walk. And so we understand why a miracle like that would occur. Or if Jesus is in the bottom of a boat and his disciples are terrified... And they're saying, Lord, don't you care? We're all about to die. We can understand why he might calm the storm. But there's another somewhat similar miracle in the Bible that I think if we read the account carefully, we may find ourselves asking, what's that about? Why did he do that? And that is the miracle of Jesus walking on water and Peter walking on water just a little bit. Now, we all know the story, right? The disciples are in the Sea of Galilee. There's a terrible storm. They're absolutely terrified. They know that they are about to sink. Jesus sees their condition, and Jesus goes out with the purpose of saving them. 
Peter gets out of the boat. He takes a couple of steps on the water. He takes his eyes off Jesus, and he begins to sink. That's the story, right? (laughs) Except it's not. That's not what the biblical text says happens there. And I want to look at the biblical text this morning carefully to see what it actually says, what it describes, and then go back and see if we can't figure out what this story is about. Okay, let's set the context. What has happened? And this is one of those stories that's so important. It shows up in three Gospels. And we're going to be bouncing back and forth among them. But Jesus has just fed the multitudes. He's fed the thousands. And John's account, I know it's not John on the screen, but John's account tells us the people were so impressed by what Jesus has done that they are willing to come and take him by force and make him a king. It's not what's supposed to happen. And so Mark tells us that Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side as he's dismissing the crowd. Now there's an interesting word here uh, that's translated and this translation is made. It is not a situation where Jesus says, well, you know what, you boys may want to get a jump on the trip. It's getting kind of late. You might want to think about going ahead over. It's not that. He orders them. He commands them to leave, to head back, ultimately toward where their their home base is in in Capernaum, while he's sending the crowd away. Now, why is this happening? Probably because uh, there is this misplaced excitement, this misplaced zeal for what is about to happen with Jesus, and Jesus wants to get him away from that. Jesus isn't going with them because Jesus needs to do something different. Jesus is not going with them according to Matthew chapter 14 because he is going to the mountain by himself to pray so that when the evening comes, he is there and he is there alone. You see, there were needs that needed to be addressed. Jesus needed to go and pray and the disciples just needed to go away. They needed to be somewhere else. They needed to get that boat back home. And so the Sea of Galilee, which plays such an incredibly important role in the ministry of Jesus, comes in to be really, really significant here. Now, they have started out on uh, the the north, a little bit east of due north there, and they're going to be heading back in the, the direction of Gennesaret. They're going to be going back home to Capernaum, except they find themselves in the middle Because there is a serious storm. And serious storms on the Sea of Galilee are something that are, you know, they're they're not to be taken lightly. I remember the first time I was ever at the Sea of Galilee, we're parking on the north side there. And in the parking lot, there's a sign that warns you that if a storm comes up, your car may be washed away. Geographical features here, Mount Hermon, like 9,000 feet, just a few miles to the north, and it drops so quickly, and surrounded by hills and the depth of the Sea of Galilee. And speaking of depth, I'm out of my depth when it comes to talking about weather here. But the storms are really, really bad. These guys are fishermen. They're in their boat. They know what's going on. And despite the fact that there is the, 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 the terrible storm, They are headed, uh, they're they're trying to get in the direction that they need to go. But it still leaves the question, having set the context, why is Jesus going to walk on water? 
Well, Mark chapter 6, verse 48 begins to give us some information about this, additional information. It tells us that Jesus sees that the disciples are making difficult headway. It's painful going there because the wind's against them. They've been at it for a while. And because Jesus has seen this, he comes to them walking on the sea. But the end of verse 48 says he meant to pass them by. You notice that part before? He meant to pass them by. Well, here's some interesting things to notice about this that we might not have thought about before. As we transition into verse 49, they see Jesus walking on the water, and they say, oh good, it's Jesus, everything's going to be fine now. Except, no, that's not how they react. They see Jesus walking on the water, and now they are afraid. Please note this, and go back and reread it for yourself several times, as I had to. There's nothing in the text that suggests they were in danger. It says they're having a hard time. It's kind of like getting caught up on the interstate. Y'all got some pretty bad interstates south of here. We've got some pretty bad ones in Florida. It's like getting caught up in the interstate in traffic. And you're frustrated and it's hard to get there and there may be some detours and you're annoyed and you're tired. But it doesn't mean you're terrified. There's nothing in the text that says they were afraid before that or that they were in danger. In fact, their fear does not arise until Jesus shows up. Jesus comes walking on water, and now they're afraid. Why is that? Well, they see somebody walking on water, or they see something walking on water, and that's very frightening to them. Is that surprising? I don't think so, because you're not supposed to see stuff walking on water. Now, here's what they had grown up hearing. They had grown up hearing that the demons that lived in the sea would sometimes show themselves above the water. And sailors who had drowned in that sea would sometimes, their ghost would make an appearance. And now they see something walking on water and they know they're not, not, not supposed to be stuff walking on water. And they are frightened by that. Because again, they're further and further out in the middle of the lake and they're fighting the storm and, and nothing is going well and... and yeah, you know, I can picture the conversation. The conversation's like, we've been, after, we've been at this for hours, and the storm's getting worse and worse, and we're, it's going to be midday before we ever get home. Things can't get any worse. Oh, oh wait, yeah, they can. Now there's a, there's a, a phantom. And that's, that, that's our English word that comes from the Greek word that's used there. Now there's a phantom walking on the water. Things just got worse. But Jesus speaks to them and he says, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said to him, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and, and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. And those 
in the boat worshipped him saying, truly you are the son of God. But we still haven't answered our question. He wasn't, they weren't already afraid, they weren't about to die. So why does Jesus walk out there intending to pass them by? And that also raises the question of, of who is the story really about? What's the story about? If you've been exposed to the voluminous academic writing done on this, you may know that there's a debate. Is this a story about Jesus and who Jesus is? Or is this a story about the disciples, particularly Peter? And I think the answer is pretty simple. The answer is pretty simple is it's both. It's about who Jesus is and who the disciples are because you can't separate the two. For us to understand who we are and what our relationship with God is, we have to know who Jesus is. And we're going to learn more about who Jesus is from this text. And we're going to look at the text of John now, John chapter 6, verse 20. When Jesus is identifying himself, he says, It is I, do not be afraid. And the, 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 the text there in John says, Ego Amy, I am. So that raises the question of, of, of what is Jesus actually saying when he says, Ego Amy, I am. And the context has to tell us that. Let me try to illustrate this. Let's imagine last night uh, at about you know, this morning, about 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm staying with the slatters. Brent hears a noise in the kitchen, and he gets up to go investigate. And as the, the, the lid's going back on JJ's cookie jar, he hears me say, It is I. That's not going to mean anything except, hey, it, it, it's just me, don't shoot. <laughs> but if the context is different, maybe the significance of I am is different. Maybe there is at least that echo of Exodus 3 with God's self-identification of the I am. Context has to help us figure that out. I want to suggest a couple of things about that. One is, one is that in this context, it's not somebody wandering around in the kitchen getting a cookie in the middle of the night. It is somebody walking on water. And it is somebody saying, I got this. I'm in control. There's no need for you to be afraid. Maybe that points us in a direction of what Jesus means when he says, there I am. And again, he's overcoming their superstitions. He's overcoming their fears. You know, I mentioned that just a little bit ago about how they would imagine it was a demon or how they would imagine it was a ghost of a, 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 a sailor who had drowned. And we think, that can't be right. That sounds superstitious. Surely they wouldn't be superstitious. Because after all, none of us have ever been superstitious about anything, have we? <laughs> Knock on wood. <laughs> and so he's identifying himself, but not merely identifying himself. But he is identifying himself in what I want to suggest over the next couple of minutes is a very special way that at least later on they would come to see an Old Testament connection with. And that is what is happening there is uh, theophany. And to understand this, we have to think back to the intent of Jesus. Remember what the last sentence in Mark 6:48 was? 
It said he intended to pass them by. He's going to pass by the boat. What good could that do anybody? Is he, you know, is he showing off? Is it a shortcut? What is the significance of, of Jesus passing by? We have even similar wording, at least looking at the Septuagint, in Exodus chapter 33 about this. Remember when Moses needed some encouragement as he's dealing with those frustrating people, uh, you know, the, the Israelites, and he wants to see the glory of God? What does God tell him he's going to do? And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the left of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. God was passing by so that Moses could, could see, could experience some of his glory to be encouraged, to take heart from that. Well, maybe that's just kind of a strange coincidence, or maybe not. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11, Elijah is so incredibly discouraged. Do you remember that story? How is God going to encourage him? The text of 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11 says, And behold, the Lord passed by. It was the Lord passing by from which Elijah would take encouragement. And then there is the reference in Job that I got to a little bit too quickly a second ago. Job chapter 9, verse 11. Job chapter 9, in the context there, Job is talking about the glory of God and the power of God and how it manifests itself in nature. And then in frustration, Job says, Behold, he passes me by and I see him not. He moves on, but I do not perceive him. Can you imagine a conversation in heaven someday when, when, when the apostles are talking to Job and they're saying, You know, Job, we never really understood that Job chapter 9 verse 11 thing until Jesus was passing us by on the water and we were scared to death by it. We didn't realize what was happening and the significance of that. But it is not just this idea of passing by, but it's how, he, how he's passing by. He's walking on water. Psalm 77 verse 15 as it talks about, about the power of God. And the power of God relative to nature, verse 16 says, When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. The depths trembled. We, we may see the storm and we're afraid. The storm sees God and the storm is afraid. The waters see you, O God, and they tremble. And then verse 19, your way was through the sea, your path through the great waves, yet your footprints were unseen. God, you can walk on water. And again, maybe this is just you know poetic expression here. Maybe this is unique, except it's not. Back in Job 9 again. Describing God, it says, Who alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea? Not just walking on water, but trampling the waves of the sea. And please note, though we do not have time to develop this, that this is the same text where, where Job is saying, You know what I really need? I need a mediator. 
I need someone who knows what it is to be God and what it is to be man, someone who can lay a hand on each one. Well, how does that show up? Jesus, the Son of God, walking on water, and his passing by being an opportunity to be an encouragement to them. But it's about Peter as well, and so by extension, the story is about us. And I think Peter gets a little bit of a bad rap in this story in a way. I, 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 I've known myself all 107 years I've been alive. And I think I can tell you how I would have acted on that occasion. And I say with great confidence, I would not have begun to sink. I wouldn't have gotten out of the boat. I'd have, I'd have been as low in that boat as I could have gotten. I'd have been, you know, clutching the hull. I'd have been saying, Peter, are you crazy? Get back in the boat. We sometimes just kind of make fun of Peter because he began to sink. Peter got out of the boat. I'm not getting out of the boat. And he started out well. Did you notice when we read the story again that maybe some of our the ideas we had about the story were not accurate. Sometimes I think what we pictured is Peter got out of the boat, he took about two steps, he got scared and he began to sink. Did you notice that he got close enough to Jesus that when he began to sink, the text tells us Jesus immediately reached out and took him. Apparently Peter got right there. He started out well, then I think what happened from the text is that he lost that internal battle. And I want to describe what I understand this internal battle to be. You can all probably relate to it. You've got a story maybe not as embarrassing as mine. But when I think about this, I remember a rather traumatic experience I had when I was about 17 years old. I don't know. I, I grew up in rural, rural, very, very rural northeast Mississippi in the hills there. And uh, one day I was visiting some friends and I found myself pinned against a car by two of the ugliest, meanest Doberman pinchers I've ever seen in my life. Now these are not normal Dobermans like you're going to be in that, what's that Westminster dog show. These are redneck hillbilly Dobermans with the, you know, the spiky collar around their necks and their mouths are open and it looks like I'm looking into the abyss. And they got slobber running everywhere and though they cannot talk, I know what their plan is. And they have me pinned against that car. Now what I remember is what my daddy told me about how to react if you've got a dog acting that way. He said, you don't show fear. You try to let them know who's in control. And so I'm doing that. And I've got them back down a little bit. I'm telling them how I'm going to go Schwarzenegger and just bang their heads together. And, you know, how, how I'm, you know, I'm going to stay in control. But I got this little voice inside me saying, just jump on top of the car. Just jump on top of the car. And I was doing well until I lost that internal battle. Decided to jump on top of the car. I turned. I began the jump. And yes, one of them bit me. And if you can think about somebody turning and trying to jump on top of the car, you might even guess where he bit me. <laughs> Lost the internal battle. 
That's what, that's what I think, that's what happened to Peter here. It's about us and the battles we fight because there are some things here he's facing here that are not, that are just not typical to the story. I want to finish up with these three thoughts because there, there, there are three elements in this story that are creating tension. See, Jesus being there and being in a boat, Sea of Galilee, all that's normal. What is it that's causing the problem? problem is being caused by three things. The first of these three things is darkness. It's still, it's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's, the text tells us, the text emphasizes what time of day it is. It's dark. And aren't things more difficult in the dark? You know, a lot of stuff's scarier in the dark. But beyond that, you have this theme that runs from, literally from the creation through the book of Revelation, and that is God dealing with darkness and chaos. Order being brought to, 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 to chaos, and, and the darkness is so often accompanies that. Because in the darkness there's confusion and, and, and fear and uncertainty and ignorance. It, it, it's hard to see, it's, it's hard to understand what's going on. And yet we fight this battle. I saw this story on uh, Facebook the other day, so I'm sure it's true. I'm going to share it with you. It says, one, one Sunday morning in a small southern town, and for those of us from the south, we always know the story is going to go in some weird direction when it says a small southern town. But anyway, so it's this, this, this Sunday morning in a small southern town, a small southern church, New preacher's there, and he calls on one of the one, one of the deacons to lead the opening prayer. And so the deacon stands up and begins his prayer by saying, "Lord, I hate buttermilk." And the, you know the preacher does kind of a mental double take at that point. He's never heard a prayer start off, "Lord, I hate buttermilk" before. And so the the prayer continues with. The guy is saying, and Lord, I hate lard. And now the, the, the preacher is very concerned at this point. But the prayer continues with uh, the man saying, and Lord, I ain't too crazy about plain flour either. But after you mix them all together and put them in a hot oven, I do love the biscuits that come out. So, Lord, I don't understand why this is happening, and I don't understand why this is happening, and I don't understand what you're doing here. But I trust you to know that when you put it all together, it is going to end well. That's the darkness that we have to overcome. How many times in the course of a day or a week do we look around and say, this doesn't make any sense at all. Why is God allowing this? Why is this happening? But having the trust that says, you know, I may hate lard and I may hate flour and I may hate buttermilk, but I, I, the outcome's going to be good. They had darkness that they needed to try, they needed to try to overcome. It wasn't just darkness. They were battling the wind. The text tells us that too. What did, what did Jesus told them as they're leaving the, the, the land as he's headed to the mountain and they're headed out in, into the boat? He said, leave, go. 
What are they trying to do? They're trying to leave. They're trying to go. They are trying to obey. But the obedience is made difficult by the wind that they are facing. Can we relate to that at all? Is there ever anything in our lives that God has told us to do and and it seems like we're just going right into the wind trying to do it? It's hard. How do we handle that? How do we react to that? And isn't that where true obedience and faith is demonstrated? You know, when I was a kid, sometimes it was easier to obey my mother than it was at other times. When Mama would, would, would shout and say, Bill, come to supper. I didn't have any problem with that. When she would say, Bill, get up and go out to the field. Start working. That was a little bit less pleasant. See, obedience is just easy. That's more like agreement than it is obedience. They're struggling to obey. They're fighting against the wind, but... That's what's going to be our experience sometimes. God doesn't say it's always going to be easy to obey. But our faith is shown and our our character is built when we're fighting the wind. Third element creating tension there they were battling was the waves. The waves were making it hard to get home. And that's what they were trying to do. You know, their, their home base was Capernaum. Jesus was going there. They wanted to go home. It's kind of a normal thing, but the waves are making it hard to get there. You ever just want to go home? You ever just feel like it would be nice to go home? Some of you, some of you older folks, I, I don't know that I, I've never heard you say it, but I've heard older folks talk about how they're just ready to go home. Sometimes it seems like it's hard to get there. We know Jesus is waiting, right? We look forward to being with him. But you know what? Jesus is not just waiting for us to make our way home. Jesus is with us as we make our way home. Jesus wasn't just hanging out in Capernaum saying, where where are those boys? Why aren't they here yet? Jesus saw what they were facing. He was moved by that. He demonstrated his glory and his power. He let them know, I am with you as you were making that journey. And I hope we feel that too. That There's not a week that goes by that we don't have conversations about what a mess our world is and how frustrating and discouraging it can be. And we look for the time, we long for the time when things are going to be different. We're trying to find our way home. Well, Jesus is with us. Jesus is going to help us get there. And the story of Jesus walking on the water helps us, I hope, to see that. They could make their way home because they were listening to Jesus. They were his disciples. And so they had that hope and that confidence that I hope all of us here have this morning. But I don't know, that may not be the case. It may be that there's somebody here who doesn't have that relationship with God that allows you to know that Jesus is with you and that Jesus is going to help you overcome. If you're in that situation, this would be a wonderful time to change it. If you're not a Christian, become a Christian this morning. If you know who Jesus is and what he did for you, you're willing to acknowledge 
your, your faith in Him, turning from your sins, you'll be baptized to have your sins washed away. I guarantee you the folks here would love to help you do that. There may be somebody here this morning, though, that's a Christian who's kind of lost their way. There's something not right in your life. Do whatever it takes to be right with God now. And if that involves having your spiritual family here pray with you and for you, I guarantee they'd be glad to do that as well. If you have a spiritual need that needs to be addressed, won't you let it be known as we stand and sing the song our brothers announced. When we walk with the Lord in the heart.